And cue music. Welcome back for episode 32 of A-Sides. And my guest um, at this time, he has on Facebook that he's the owner and janitor of Switchyard Studios. But I kind of like Denny's introduction a little bit better. He says he's a producer, engineer, uh, mixer, occasional slide guitarist, and voice of reason, Michael St. Leon. Yeah, you don't have to go own on the on. You can just say St. Leon, but it's been pronounced a myriad of ways and I answer to just about all of them. Probably why he calls you a street lion, I guess. Yeah, that's a well. You know that uh, I think uh, he might he might have another story, but I think that dates back to a long time ago. Uh, we had a band going, uh, and uh, it was an original band, and we were struggling for a name, and we called it this and that. And then one day, one of the guys who was uh, producing the band or working with us said, "We'll call it Saint Leon," you know, like Van Halen. You know, and uh, I, I balked a little at that, but they said, no, it's a cool name and you write the songs and everything. And and so I said, OK, what the hell? And so we did that and we got a gig later at the Exit Inn. And uh, and it's documented because my mom happened to be in town that day and, and I'd been to the Exit Inn with her years and years before that, the old Exit Inn. And so she went by to take a picture of the marquee and they had put on the marquee St. Leon ST period L-E-O-N. So the joke became, it was like street Leon, you know, it, it, it was supposed to be S-A-I-N-T. I think I told Denny that one day about, uh, you know, they put St. Leon and then guys in the band started saying street Leon. <laughs> and somehow maybe that turned into street line. That's a pretty convoluted story, but I think that might be the genesis for that really important bit of uh, history there. I think it's a good segue, too, because I was going to ask, because um, I know that you um, do a lot with The Great Affairs, and so I was going to ask if you um, ever played any instruments growing up or you had any influences. Yeah, I played guitar since I was a little kid. And uh, uh, for anybody who wants to know, uh, earliest influences was uh, the folk music era. I don't know if they were an influence, but that's what I was playing. My dad had a guitar. I was playing his. Morton, he played it, so they got me one when I was seven years old, playing Kingston Trio, Brothers Four, uh, watching Hoot Nanny, which was a popular folk music show back then. I was in Los Angeles back then. But then in 1964, the Beatles uh, came out, and uh, that changed everything in the space of about two and a half minutes, and I uh, pursued that path ever since. Uh, Rock and roll, guitar, you know, pop music, uh, all that. And so I played guitar all through that time. And, and uh, yeah, that was my main gig was playing guitar. And I played full time for maybe 15, 17 years, you know, on the road or in house bands. And uh, and so that was my, yeah. I, at some point I got to the point where I said, all right, I want to see if I can earn a living playing guitar. That was my goal way back then, and I've figured out how you do that, you know, which wasn't rocket science. It was a little discipline and this and that and practice a little bit, you know. But um, so, yeah, I've played guitar all my life. Oh, wow. Uh, so then when did you then make the move, I guess, behind the board? Uh, at a, some 
point uh, band I was in in the 80s, we were recording. We had a production deal uh, here in Nashville, but we felt that the, the leader of the band was very entrepreneurial. Uh, he's the reason why we even got as far as we did, although we were uh, a good band. But we decided to invest in recording equipment and build a studio, and which we did from the ground up basically a building, you know, we didn't have a concept of acoustics back then, but it worked out okay. And of course we had this gear and back then it was tape and someone had to, uh, we took turns, you know, running it, you know, we had a little experience just from live sound. And so we transferred that to the studio, started recording and I got just by default started recording, you know, the band, uh, uh, we took turns recording really, you know, and, um, but through that, I learned a little bit about this and that. And then I met with some people who were actually engineers who knew stuff. And I kind of learned from them. And when that band dissolved, uh, I ended up buying out the equipment from the other guys and bringing it to my house and, uh, and, uh, and eventually built this studio, the switch yard. And at that point, uh, I had a little more concept of uh, what it takes to build a, a studio. Well, no, I don't know if I had it. But, again, some people got involved with it who were very experienced, particularly one guy who moved here from Los Angeles just to build this place, just to be involved with it. And he was a freak, you know, about uh, acoustics and um, wiring and all this. And it turned into quite a longer and more prolonged and expensive a venture that I'd initially planned, but it ended up, you know, being a really cool room and I had this gear, but by the end of it, after a year or two, most of the people involved with it had gone crazy and left and this and that. And I thought, well, I need to try to make this work, you know, and maybe make some money to return on my investment of time, money and heartache. And, um, so I started bringing, you know, booking bands in here and saying, I'll record you. And after a few, you know, tense borderline fiascos, I started getting the hang of it. That would have been back in the mid nineties when I actually started, you know, presenting it as a paying venture, you know, uh, and it got, I got better at it since then. Uh, so I kind of learned it uh, on the go, you know, on-the-job experience, the College of Hard Knocks, I guess. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, so so it's kind of like, I guess, like self-taught kind of thing. You just pick it up and yeah, you go. Self-taught. Well, I got a lot of, you know, some listening to other people who have already been there and, and realizing, okay, to, and, uh, you know, eventually I, I like to read, and so I'd read uh, stories about recording and how they did it and uh, – and also I found, too, that over the years, like any uh, enterprise like that, but particularly in music, which is at its best, I think, an emotional uh, event, you get to be a bit of a people person and try to be sensitive to what they're doing and let people know that you're on their side. Uh, you try to encourage people to um, to not be have their guard up, you know, some people you don't have to, you know, <laughs> they come in and uh, rock out right out of the box and I'm just hanging on trying to keep up, you know. So I guess you're in a good area for that too, because you're kind of around the Nashville area, right? So you'd get all sorts of artists. 
Yeah, but I'm I'm not uh, I'm off the Music Row path. Uh, it's out on the uh, dark side of town, uh, the currently COVID apparently infested side of town. Uh, we're we're red on the uh, Nashville map, and um, so, but yeah, I've had a variety of 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 musicians come through here, and um, from but not as much. You know the music row type stuff like the country cats or the uh, the the country demo uh, scene, which is lucrative and good. I, I mean, I've done some of that, but it's not been my mainstay. Uh, it's mostly been uh, regional acts with the occasional, you know, stumbling into something bigger. Uh, by bigger, I mean more lucrative, not necessarily better or more important. But uh, um, but it's been enough, you know, to sustain me. And yeah, mostly rock and roll guys. I've had some jazz guys, you know, sensitive uh, uh, acoustic singer-songwriters, uh, some kind of commercial-oriented stuff, you know, spoken words, whatever. Especially back then, I, I'm a little more stable now, but when it first started, the only thing, I, I just needed to to have work, you know. So people call, you know, I've got a, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Well, it's a, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Can you, uh, yep, yep, I can do that. You know, I just said yes to anybody. I did see that you won a um, Grammy Award, though, for a mixing B.B. King album. Nope. Uh, it was a Buddy Guy record. Oh, Buddy Guy. Okay, sorry. And, uh, yeah, I stumbled into that. I, I work with, uh, uh, er, when he first moved to town, a guy called Tom Hambridge, who was a brilliant drummer and um uh, real go-getter, you know, an energetic, creative cat. And he kind of stumbled into my studio one evening, you know, needing to, to make demos. He's a songwriter. And uh, that developed a relationship uh, that went on over the years. And then eventually, you know, through his hard work, he started producing bigger and bigger records, and I'd get involved with that. And he started producing Buddy Guy, who was really having a, a resurgence, and he got a deal on Sony with them recording their, his stuff with, with good budgets. And so he was recording him and I, I was involved in some of the records, this and that, and I mastered, uh, one of them rhythm and blues. And then that, this last one, um, he wanted me to mix it. And, uh, so I did, and it turned out, you know, really good. Of course, won a Grammy. I recorded some of it too. I recorded the horn section on it. Uh, the, uh, muscle shoals horns, and uh, and that was so so yeah that was cool. It's uh, and it's fun. It, it, having the Grammys great. You know I can. Uh, the joke is that I can point at it when people start questioning my judgment. You know in the studio, <laughs> and then they are supposed to shut up and listen. You know of course they don't often do that. But uh, and uh, so so that. That was nice. It's more pressure, you know, being like uh, working that, but you get a lot more money. You know, that's that's more money than I've ever made for a single uh, project. Well, almost there was one other time when I made a ton of money. The, this, these guys uh, who had a, a record deal rented the studio uh, in advance for two months at my day rate, blocked it out, and. Uh, that was, uh, I'm trying to remember, 
you know, but that wasn't, that was a long time ago. And that wasn't that much more than I made just for mixing that record, that buddy guy record. I don't know if you want to talk about money and stuff, but it, you know, comes. <laughs> those are some of the different things, you know, plenty of other times you're sitting there nervous about the lack of income and wondering, you know, about paying bills, you know, cause like, uh, it's, uh, it ain't Exxon, as they say, it's, uh, one, one week I'll be slamming the next week, nothing. But I've, I, you know, at first that's a little nerve wracking and stomach churning, but you hopefully get used to it. Kind of like being in a band, you know, you, uh, don't have a guaranteed gig. You're hustling for each gig and, uh, you need to kind of adapt to that, uh, Part of that is keeping calm by whatever means you got available. And then, uh, and then when you do have money, hopefully being, you know, disciplined enough to put a little bit away for, you know, when times are lean, uh, I guess there's other jobs like that too, you know, but definitely musicians and, uh, mid range studio owners, you know, it's, uh, not, not a steady guaranteed steady stream of, uh, work. I guess the award though would like open up uh, maybe doors to other artists, right? Yes, it would. If if I were a little more um, aggressive in marketing that that particular thing, uh, I'm happy. I'm I'm not particularly ambitious on that score. I'm not bragging about that. It's embarrassing, really. But uh, uh, I don't mind mentioning it. You know, yeah, I got a Grammy, but you know the the reality too is I, I you know. I just stumbled into the thing, you know, the guy, uh, you know, I was asking you, can you mix this? Yeah. And I guess they had to have known that I would do a good job on it. So I, I earned, earned all that. And, and, it, and I'm very happy about it. Uh, it's a thrill, you know, getting a, a Grammy, getting that in the mail, you know, I mean, I was like, man, this is the coolest. Um, uh, but I also know, you know, I, I approached it like I do any other record. Uh, okay, here's the songs, here's the music, got to mix it, got to make it sound good, bring out the best in it. Oh, got a Grammy. Well, okay, why, why is that? Well, because it was Buddy Guy, you know, and he's having a resurgence. I could have done the same. And I did. I've done others. Like, uh, I've mixed this record uh, for a guy, Kingfish, who's uh, Chris Stone Ingram, and he's an up-and-coming blues cat. Young guy. Um, well, now he's about 19 or 20. But uh, I mixed that. And recorded it too. Didn't didn't recorded the uh, they recorded it over at uh forget some other studio like might not maybe Blackbird. The Buddy Guy stuff was recorded at Blackbird, except for the stuff I recorded. But this Kingfish was recorded somewhere else in Nashville, maybe Blackbird. And um, I uh, and then I recorded the guitars and the singing here and mixed it and mastered it, and it was nominated for a Grammy this past year. But uh, Delbert McClinton Band. Uh, got the got the best blues grammy anyway um i did the same for that record you know worked worked on as best i could and uh, applied all my knowledge expertise and passion to it that i could muster up and uh but that didn't get a grammy so how did you get hooked up with uh denny though because i know you've been uh, working on his stuff for like i don't know almost like 20 years now it seems yeah that that was uh uh Let's see. I uh, I had worked with a buddy of his, Billy Baker. You've probably heard of him. Yeah. He he's a drummer, and now he he uh, makes drum kits for folks. He made the Kiss. I'm sure you've heard all about Billy Baker's Kiss drum kit. Anyway, he had 
played and I got along well with Billy. He was a cool guy. And when he got into Bombshell Crush, uh, the original version of that band, they wanted to record and he said, well, try this guy out. And, uh, they all came over. Let's see, Tony wasn't it. Tony Higby wasn't even in the band then. I don't think, I think they had a, a bass player whom they replaced with Tony. And then they had another guitar player too, who eventually, uh, left. So that left the four of them, Michael. And, and so Denny was the guitar player and wrote a bunch of the songs. And I just, you know, he's a cool cat, as you know, I hit it off with him. And, um, I, I love working with him. He's always writing, as you know, it's like in his nature. And, uh, so when he started former and Billy was in that too, it just, they just felt good about coming over. And so they made a couple great records here. I know you've heard those Andy and, um, and it just kept on so that now, and, and I like one thing is they're real like Denny and, and Kenny, you know, that they're uh, real cool about, they kind of let me do whatever I want. They are over the years, they've come to, to trust me not to mess up, you know, what they've recorded so that usually when I get a mix done, um, they, their tweaks are, are usually pretty minor. Sometimes I'll screw something up, but most of the time I'm pretty close and uh, they can tell me, well, this, that, and the other. And, and uh, so it's real comfortable working with them uh, and just hanging with them. You know, Denny's, you know, a brilliant, you know, wit and raconteur and, uh, you know, philosopher. He's, he's always throwing his stuff out there. And then Kenny's got, and Patrick, you know, he's his own thing. And, uh, and now uh, Matt, Matt Anderson throwing his thing into the mix over the past five years uh it's been fun and uh, and it's fun just seeing them hang in there i mean that's troopers you know hanging in like that this long not making a lot of money having to hit the road to make their money back and sell their records so i'm i uh i'm grateful for the uh for the working relationship we've had all this time hell i, I forget how long 10 15 years maybe to answer your question shortly, I met him <laughs> on the bombshell <laughs> crush sessions <laughs> to keep it succinct. Too late. <laughs> it's okay. I was thinking how um, you had said that the Beatles just kind of blew your mind and that kind of changed your course. And I think the last couple um, Great Affairs albums to me have almost kind of had some touches like the Beatles would do, like a lot of different stuff in the mix. Like, so that's all you, or is that like something Denny comes up with and just trusts you to do it? That's all me. In fact, uh, I played most of the instruments on the, on that record. Uh, even the drums. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> that is all, uh, the band and, um, Denny obviously, uh, is totally familiar with the Beatles catalog and, you know, the fact is, is that if you're writing pop music today, they set a template back then uh, that holds up today. You know, you want, you know, the cool verses with a big breakout chorus, you know, and then if you can get a nice bridge in there uh, with a, a wonderful melody, something interesting, but something catchy, something that'll stick with you and not. Uh, you know, it's hard to do that. Uh, not everybody can, can do it. Um, 
not that it's, you know, rocket surgery, but, you know, to, to actually do it isn't that easy. You got to work at it. Sometimes a song will come, I'm sure, to Denny in five or ten minutes. Other times he's probably got to wiggle with it and, you know, massage it and work with it over a month or a year, you know, who knows. So the Beatles are a template for everybody, I think, who writes in that um, that vein, that idiom, the pop music uh, idiom. For me, the Beatles, you know, I'd never heard rock and roll before then. I was a little nine-year-old, and uh, my mom brought back... My friends listening to this are going to start laughing because I tell this story all the time, especially after a few drinks. And it's boring, pointless, uh, means nothing to anybody but me. But uh, she brought back this little single, I Want to Hold Your Hand, back when I saw her standing there. And I was, I'd been hearing about the Beatles at school, hadn't seen them on Ed Sullivan, so I was curious. Put it on. Wow, you know, everything changed. After that, you know, Rolling Stones, all the British Invasion. Paul Revere and the Raiders, all the garage rockers, you know, question mark, uh, count five, on and on and on, all the way up through uh, Cream, Hendrix, Mountain. Uh, after that, I kind of faded and didn't have a lot of influences, you know, until the punk rock scene came around. I enjoyed that. But, uh, yeah, the Beatles were the... Uh, the light, the light that uh, shined. And I sure it shined on Denny, too, even though he's a lot younger. He's done his research. And uh, so any Beatle influence came came from him. They, you know, they've got their arrangements down, you know, when they come in. I'll, I'll throw something out. But usually what I'll say is, man, that's cool. But that tone, you know, can you try a different amp or something or a different guitar you know, uh, something like that. And sometimes I'll say, well, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll try that, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> or I'll tell Denny to sing something. I, I'll say, well, you're got, I, I think he won't mind me saying this. I'll say, you're getting too, uh, emo. <laughs> uh, you know, these are subtleties, of course, you know, little subtleties. I mean, we're sitting there, you know, for a long time trying to sing these songs. So you end up getting into details, you know. So I'll throw something like that out sometimes and he'll listen to me. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it's all them. Uh, I, I just, I, I just hang on and try to make sure it all glues together. Uh, I'll throw some things in the mix, uh, that they weren't expecting sometimes. Some, if I hear a fun little effect, uh, that, that gives a, a little transition, a tweak, then I'll go for it because I know they'll be cool and they'll either say, yeah, I dig that. Or they'll say, ah, Michael, that, that, that's a little hokey, you know, um, and so I'll dump it, but, um, and, uh, or, you know, what echo you might use on a, you know, common things like that. Um, but, uh, that's where I come in and, and, uh, sometimes make a difference, you know, and like I said before, I try to set, a an atmosphere of, um, easygoing, you know, buddies making music, you know, uh, we're not trying to impress anybody here. Let's do your thing. And, and, uh, be real. Uh, and so I, I bring that, I try to bring that to the, to the sessions, you know, with everybody, but certainly with someone I've been working with that long, like these guys, you know, um, I try to get, uh, Patrick, you know, to not want to do a 
a solo, you know, 25 times. Although lately, see, they've been recording a lot of their stuff either at Josh, uh, uh, Josh's uh, place. Keshmark, I think. Yeah. yeah, Josh Keshmark, yeah. And, um, and he's a whiz. Uh, and he does a lot of editing sometimes for him if they want. I, I shouldn't say that, you know, that's a secret. But, uh, um, I can cut out that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to give away the, the you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 what is it? The man behind the curtain. Um, uh, the wizard. Yeah. Yeah. I pull back the curtain too much. Back the curtain too much, you know, but most of it's just straight up playing, you know, and Daniel records some of it as his place. He's got a, a rig, uh, and, uh, that he, uh, you know, when Joanne's not, you know, going crazy from listening to, Marshall cabinets blasting through the house. He'll he'll record uh, some of the tracks lately. They've been doing that, you know, and then they'll bring it back to the studio, and I'll feather it into the session that we already did, you know, with Kenny's drums. And uh, Ken, Kenny, you know, he's he uh, is tons of fun. Uh, aside from being a cool guy, he he brings this up. Oh man, I was going to say, and now I don't remember these freaky drums that. It start with a K. Oh man, I shouldn't even have brought it up. But they they're like horns. No, <laughs> that's that's one fascination and and uh, passion that I don't share with the guys. Um, I shouldn't say this uh, now for the world to hear. You know, I know your broadcast. Uh, your broadcast. Your broadcast goes uh, worldwide, does it? Um, I guess I've got a guy who listens in Italy, but usually it's just kind of Denny's friends or like my friends. It's not too uh, big. Uh -huh. They're probably all Kiss fans, huh? Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> so I won't, I won't go on about that. But um, he, um, these drums are like horns. I, there's pictures of them on the Switchyard. Uh, oh yeah, face. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know what that even was. <laughs> Looked well, like I an know elephant trunk or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, their North Drums is a company that came out with these fiberglass drums that were the, uh, the bottom part of the, the shell kind of telescoped open. And that was supposed to provide some kind of projection. I don't know. But then another company came out with, uh, where the, the, the shells were bifurcated, you know, like, a I don't know how to describe it, but, but it's, it's two, uh, horns sticking out. And he put, I don't know if it was just to do it for a picture or somebody put it up about a year or two ago on one of the sessions for, um, the great affairs. So we mic'd it up and went for it and loved the sound, got a sound that we loved. I think it was on, it was definitely, I think on that record, uh, that they did for the record company. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? 10 to two. Was that? Oh yeah. 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 That was the most recent one. I think like two years yeah. ago. Mm hmm. And then we used that kit also on Denny's recent solo record. You've heard some of that, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah, from last year, From the Dark. Yeah. Do you like that? Yeah, that's probably like maybe like my uh, favorite out of all they've done so far. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, there's a song on there like God's Asleep. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I love that song. I love the arrangement. I love everything about it. And then I also like the way it came out in the recording. And uh, anyway, those were Kenny's drums with that uh, that that telescoping bifurcated bass drum by an, a company that I don't. Mm -hmm. And I, every time I see Kenny, 
what, what's the name of that drum? He said, you know, he tells me, I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> like a jerk, you know, because I always remember part of that might be my, you know, advanced age and the, you know, your brain cells start deteriorating. But summary, I can't keep that. Anyway, enough on that. But I uh, uh, don't know how we got out. All that to say that um, it's, it's a lot of fun to um, work with them. They bring the creativity. They bring the energy. And, uh, and they keep doing it. So I like that. There's a few other bands I work with too that that I enjoy uh, working with that much, but not many of them have been together that long. In fact, none that I can think of. You know, I do my own thing. I I write songs and record them, and had a band. But I'm I'm just a guy. You know, my bands I've been in have come and gone. You know. Anybody wants to hear anything that I do, they can go. You know, on Facebook to the Switch or Thunder Bunny. Uh, shameless plug here. Not making any money, just enjoying it, having fun, bringing the joy to the people. And uh, Thunder Bunny on Facebook, Switchyard Recording Studio on Facebook, Michael St. Leon on Facebook. They can find them, find my uh, works of art on there. And I make a video to go with them lately, too. I've been into that. Is Thunder Bunny um, your own band or um, what you release stuff under? Yes. And uh, the only consistent thing is, is me. And I try to get my buddies in on it. Lately, during the COVID uh, era, uh, I haven't. I've had a little more trouble getting people over. So sometimes I'll, uh, if I need a drum, I've I sh- shamelessly have programmed a drum beat, you know. But I'll screw it up and recording recorded in ways to where I it's maybe a little more interesting than a a drum program. But yeah, that's uh, that's that's what I've been doing. Uh, Thunder Bunny. I put an umlaut on the U, the second U. Oh, awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had to have it. And um, so all all your curious listeners can uh, get off on that if they feel like it. You should put the umlaut on the E in um, Leon. Oh, well, that, that was kind of set in stone on my birth certificate. Uh, of course, I could change it. You know, it worked for Prince. I don't even... <laughs> yeah was um probably reginald uh smith or something but um yeah uh or maybe put the umlaut on the o see that's a toughie where to put the umlaut you know it's 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 an important decision you know once you go with the umlaut uh where it goes and um hmm you got me thinking andy (laughs) well i was gonna ask you to go back a second like rewind i was gonna ask if you had a favorite song of the great affairs that you've worked on and uh would that be uh that like god's asleep that's my current favorite and and i guess that qualifies more as a denny smith song yeah because he recorded that independent of the great affairs and and that's the last thing i've recorded with them um uh that's been released and yeah, that song is one of my favorite. I'll, I'll say it's one of my favorites that Denny has written out of all these. I mean, you know, his catalog is vast. Not, you know, and that's not including stuff he hasn't even recorded. Uh, there's stuff on this new record that is just uh, gorgeous. And one of them I can say because he put it out for a little while on uh, social media or whatever called uh, Livia. You've probably heard that, Andy, if you keep up at all, because he put it, it's uh, a yeah. snappy pop love song, uh, and uh, it just 
rocks and it, it, it hits the, the, the course like a fireworks and, um, they just nailed it. And maybe that's, uh, of course there's other stuff on the record too. That'll probably, you know, you have time to, to grow on me. That's the one that sticks in my mind right now though. Uh, it's wonderful. People are going to love that, you know, fans, uh, well, they already have, I guess, because he had it out there for a few days. Yeah, uh, it was like, blink and you'll miss it, though. I think it was like, like maybe a day or two it was online. Shrewd, shrewd marketing. See? See how that works? Now people want more. <laughs> yeah, he's good it, at that, I guess, like hooking you. It's the usual bunch of great, cool, catchy, kick-ass tunes. Uh, Kenny singing about, you know, a third of them, I guess, and singing harmony on all of them. Patrick throwing down his... Uh, his cool guitar solos. Uh, one of my favorites of, of Patrick's uh, solos is this tune called uh, "Taking a Swing," and and I, I I think that's the one. Shit, I, yeah, "Taking a Swing" because because when he was recording, that's one that he recorded at the studio. Patrick came to to my place to record it, and his his part he overdubbed it. And uh, when I was listening to him play, I I looked at Ken. I said, "Wow." And he said, yeah, he nodded. I said, Wayne Perkins. He said, yeah, yeah, Wayne Perkins. And it sounds like Wayne Perkins uh, when he played uh, for the Rolling Stones on that one record, Black and Blue. This is some uh, obscure, esoteric trivia, you know, music freak stuff. You know, nobody's going to know. But anyway. Patrick, Inside baseball, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just probably lost all two or three of your listeners with that little diversion. But... um. I like diversions. I welcome those, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> there was something I was going to ask you again, uh, too, about your uh, stuff you do in the studio. Like, I've always been a little bit fascinated with, uh, like, mixing and stuff because uh, I did – I was kind of self-taught myself. Like, what I did was uh, for, like, radio stations, I would get uh, the dry vocals, I guess, from their voice guy. And then my boss is like – like add the music or sound effects or like whatever. They're the little snippets between songs you'd hear on the radio. And uh, so uh, sometimes I would sneak in some of Denny's songs because they kind of fit the classic rock uh, vibe. But I've always wondered with technique and mixing, like do you just kind of play around with like reverb or like what kind of... I try, uh, you know, it depends what mood you're in too uh, <laughs> from day to day or from year to year, what what fad you're into, but generally there's a, you know, say you're dealing with a band, uh, you know, like the great affairs, I'll, uh, the most complex part of it, uh, you know, generally speaking is the drums and I'll try to get a drum sound up to where the drums sound in a, in a way that's cool to me. And so there you might decide, well, I'm going to go for a very natural sound uh, as though I were sitting in the room listening to him, or you can say, I'm going to go for kind of a, a hyper reality, you know, where the kick drum has an abnormal amount of low wind and the snare is cracking like a gunshot, you know, mm -hmm. um, or I might go for like, I might think, well, the drums are in this, uh, gymnasium, uh, and there you'll mess around with, um, with reverbs and that sort of thing. With most of the Great Affair stuff, for example, and in general lately, the past few years, 
I have tended to try to just use what is recorded. In other words, not add any uh, outside ambience, you know, with reverb uh, units. And just use, uh, hopefully, like in my case, I'll 80% of the time have some room mics up. And I'll bring those in to try to create the ambience. And uh, now that's not going to be a big, long, you know, gymnasium ambience. So if that's required, then okay, you bring that in. But lately I've been trying to, not trying, I've just tended to avoid that uh, unless it's just jumping out at me. And then the rest of it, I'll, uh, next I try to get, especially in, in the case of something like a great affairs that that is melodically driven uh, or the melody is as important as the beat, try to make sure the vocal is going to be as out front as it can and clear without being, you know, unnatural. I, I tend to like a buried vocal. And uh, so I try to make sure, okay, I don't want to do that too much because I, I know that's a tendency I have to bury the vocal to where the bear, the vocal is just like another, you know, piano in the mix, you know. So I'll try to get the vocal right. And then, um, and sometimes that'll require some ambience. Sometimes it's cool to have just a bone dry vocal, and that was in vogue for a while, and it's still kind of cool sometimes. Other times you might want to, lately I've been going for more reverb and uh, roomy uh, plate type sounds in uh, halls and chambers on uh, vocals. Uh, and I don't know if that's just something that I've been into or if, if the songs I've been mixing have driven me to that. Uh, but, uh, and then and then get the, yeah, get the bass in uh, after that with the, uh, with the drums and make them like a unit, especially with rock and roll. You know, I want them to be like one big unit driving the groove, you know. Uh, work the guitars in after that. And... Uh, and then lead breaks, lead guitars, I'll try to match them to the vocal uh, in as far as their presence and their punch and their level and their ambience. Uh, I'll tend to kind of match them. Uh, having said all that, sometimes some song will come up and you just end up reaching into your little bag of obvious tricks and doing goofy stuff that's catchy, you know, reverse licks or uh, odd uh, linear reverbs that cut off real fast, uh, making uh, band stops go to digital silence uh, for an effect, you know, and all that is very unnatural. And so there you're just trying to be catchy and, and catch somebody's ear, and that that's fun too. Um, and all this kind of depends not just on the song, but on whatever kind of mood you're in that day, unfortunately. Or, you know, who knows? It's all... Uh, uh, you know, you put your, if you're really into it, you put your kind of emotions into it. You, you, you lose yourself in it and, uh, and that's fun, you know, and hopefully you don't go over the top or if you do, then the guys say, Hey, you know, can you dial that back? Okay. <laughs> Is that a little too much, uh, rambling information? Uh, oh no. De no. <laughs> yeah. Details are available, but that's kind of an overview of, of my approach. And I, I assume a lot of more successful mixers, you know, have that general approach. You know, I go to forums and read uh, interviews with uh, uh, successful, you know, mixers who are, you know, more, you know, making the big bucks and working on big budget projects. And I, you know, I, I look at those tips and sometimes I can work them into what I'm doing, you know, so. So I guess it's just like picking up things as you go. 
learning and then adding another tool to your toolbox that you can pull out later. I guess one yeah. last thing that I was going to ask is uh, every time I'll, I'll buy a CD, not just Denny's, I'll look at the credits and it always says mastered by. And I noticed uh, that you master um, his albums. Like what is the mastering process? Like I've never had any idea of what that is. Uh, well, the uh, mastering, uh, technically what a master, uh, what you do with in a master is you've got a final mix. Uh, you know, initially when you record a song, you end up with a bunch of tracks. Can you picture that? You know, oh, you yeah, have a, yeah. And a vocal track. You might have eight tracks or 16 tracks, you know, or 41 tracks. They all have to be mixed together to a stereo track. Mm -hmm. so that's your mix, and it's done. Okay, got the mix. Yeah, this sounds good. So when you master it, to me, initially mastering as far as I could tell, was when you had an album, back in the days when albums were, were the thing, you would want the songs to be able to flow uh, from one to the other and have the levels be consistent uh, with what they were. I mean, if it was a softer song, it would be softer. And so mastering consists of taking a stereo mix, and what you do is you make it as loud as you can, you make it louder, and you do that with... Um, you know, compressor limiter uh, type uh, tools. And sometimes you'll EQ it, and that means turning the bass or the treble up or down to give it a little more sparkle or a little more oomph on the uh, bass end. And uh, and that's the, 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 the bottom line of it. Uh, that's what you do. And so the goal nowadays, you know, you, a thing called digital limiting uh, came into the music world and and it's a way to uh, control dynamics and it makes stuff louder to the ear and uh, and so for a while we had the loudness wars where people trying to make everything louder than everything else that's eased up a little bit um, but there's still a a uh, a benchmark for volume you know I mean just straight volume uh, that uh, is expected. Uh, like for me, if I give a mix to someone before it's mastered to a band that's not really used to the process, they'll listen and then they'll AB it to something on the radio or to one of their records. And they'll, they'll say, you know, wow, Michael, th this mix you gave me isn't as loud. I mean, this mix over here, you know, blows it away. Um, and I say, well, yeah, it's not been mastered, you know, I'll, you know, so now when I give people mixes, usually I ended up running through a limiter just on principle, just so that it's somewhere in the ballpark volume wise and punch wise of uh, commercial release. Um, and so that that's what mastering is. You take a, a mix and you make it as you, you, you squeeze every last bit of uh, coolness into it or out of it, however you want to put that. And by coolness, that usually comes down to making it punchy or louder or brighter or bassier, you know. And then in the terms of, in context of an album, well, like a Great Affairs album, you mix it, you want one song to run into the other uh, smoothly in a cool way. And that means how much, how many seconds between the songs or do you want to be right close to each other? Or do you want a long pause for effect, like a 
like you're doing a performance on stage. Uh, and maybe the soft song comes in, a ballad, and you don't want it quite as loud as the big one that's going to come next so that there's a big oomph when the other one comes in. So when you're mastering an album, for me, that comes into it. Okay, because it seems like, yeah, like, or at least from what I'm familiar with listening to, it seemed like every song in the 80s had like a fade out or something. They just like did a long fade out on everything. So you're saying you... You do that in mastering. Yeah. Often that's in... In mixing, you can fade it out in a mix, too. Uh, but, yeah, you can do fade-outs in a master. Um, the the mix, for me, is the most important part of the whole process. Uh, mastering, uh, to me, should be a subtle process, a final sheen. You know, make it a little louder if you want to, if you want to add a little punch. You know, or if it's a little bright, if it's a little sizzly sound, pss, 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 okay, tame that a little bit but not big heavy-handed moves. If they get that heavy-handed, I just soon remix it, you know. If it's if it requires that much surgery to get it to sound good. And I've mastered stuff for people that I didn't mix and a lot of it's so good that I would barely do anything to it. And other stuff I've gotten that might have been good songs and this and that but were mixed in such a way, mixed and or recorded in such a way that it just sounded out of whack to me and so then I pull out everything I can to try to make it sound better to make it not sound so jagged or muffled or uh, out of sorts and disjointed you know because it was mixed uh, you know in a way that I wasn't comfortable with you know so there you that's surgical mastering fortunately that doesn't happen to me all that often you know it's happened a few times and if I can't ask them to remix it, you know, then I'll do what I can. You know, but it's you're limited because you're working with the two-track final mix. Yeah, because you got that foundation, and then you're just adding like yeah a coat of paint on it or something. Yes, you'd want to just sweeten it a little bit, varnish it. Some stuff like I've gotten mixes. This is great. Maybe I'll boost the level a tiny bit. Sometimes not because I say, man, it. I, I've got nothing to do to this. I'll put the I'll put the sequence together, you know, and make a red book CD that you can, you know, send to your duplicator. But I the the mix is is done and it doesn't require any kind of other processing. You know, that's happened to me sometimes. Sometimes you feel like, well, sh sh they sent it to me. Yeah, I better do something to it. You know, just to earn my keep. But sometimes the something is nothing. You know, it's it's good the way it is and. I don't want to. Well, thanks for kind of, uh, I guess, peeling back that curtain uh, today and give me some inside scoops on the uh, mix and mastering process. I wouldn't want to give the impression, though, that there's no magic involved, no supernatural elements, you know, that incantations aren't being invoked, you know, to <laughs> realize this because that's an important part of it, too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just playing around with it till you get it right, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah, it's hard work. A lot of times it's hard work. Work, 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 you know. Writing songs is like that, you know. Denny will tell you. You know, you got to be willing to look at your what you've done, whether it's writing the song or playing a part or mixing, look at it and say, whoa, this, this stinks here. I messed this up. This got to go. You know, because you're thinking, well, no, it's perfect. I did it. It's wonderful. Like, no, nah, yeah, you, you fucked up there. You get that. You screwed up, you know, re rewrite that line or replay that part or that, you, you know, you made that that uh, guitar too loud, you know, whatever. 
you got to be willing to to go through that process of uh, critiquing yourself and being honest, being objective with your own work. Or the uh, voice of reason, like he said, you're ah, the voice of reason. That's, uh, I, I'm, I'm capable of that, I guess, occasionally. Sometimes I'm requiring someone else's voice of reason, but that happens to the best of us. I guess with his songs, like I've always said, like, or asked, like, do you write a bad song? And he goes, well, like you just haven't heard him. So I guess he's got a good ear. Yeah. Well, someone like Denny and any, uh, real songwriter, uh, dedicated songwriter is going to write, write, write. And, some stuff is not going to make the cut. And rather than saying, oh, I wrote this song and it sucks and this and that, say, well, no, I'll just, I'm, that stinks. I'm going to write another one, you know, leave this one. And then one day you might come back to, to that one and say, well, wait a minute. This verse here was pretty good. And this line wasn't bad. The rest of it stinks, you know, so I'm going to work on that, you know. But at the time, you might have not been seeing the forest for the trees. Hmm. So you dump it. You got to be. You know, you got to be willing to, 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 to keep, keep writing. You know, somebody, you know, you write a song and say, well, that, that song stinks. I can't do anything with that. Say, okay, well, I'll write another one. Someone else might like that other one, but I'll write another one, you know, for you and keep writing. Oh, you like this one. Okay. You can take that one. Meanwhile, all these others are on the back burner. Um, that's how it goes. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm definitely going to look up a uh, thunder bunny as soon as we're thunder bunny phone here. Yeah. Umlaut on the second U. <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you, Michael, for uh, talking with me today. It's been a pleasure, Andy. Uh, I might see you live one day. I don't ever get up to Peoria, but uh, you're a, a cool interviewer, and it's it's cool for you to do this. I know that it's uh, a labor of love for you, and uh, I mean, I'm assuming, uh, and uh, you you display a real passion for for music and rock and roll, and uh, I've only been doing it recently, the last couple months, basically since the COVID thing uh, started. So, it's fun, you know, it's fun to talk. Well, thanks again, Michael. Thank you, Andy. Good luck out there. Bridge.